Section 71 of the Catholic's Ready Answer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. The Catholic's Ready Answer by Rev. M.P. Hill. Pragmatism. An old system revamped. Truth is neither absolute nor eternal. The truth of a proposition is to be tested by the effects it produces on the mind that considers or accepts it, and in general by its influence on life. If it brings about a readjustment of one's ideas, or changes a mental attitude, or awakens a new motive of conduct, it has just that amount of truth. The truth of an idea is to be tested by how it works. A comment on it. How does it work is a very apt question in the practical sphere, and in reference to things that are made to work and have no reason for existing if they do not work, but in the sphere of abstract knowledge, quite a different query is in order. Is it true? And, if it is true, what is the evidence of its truth? What we want to know is whether the thing affirmed is reality or fiction, and, if reality, on what grounds we can accept it as reality. Once the truth is evident, it is regarded as one of the mind's permanent acquisitions. It is a fixture in the mind, and is not regarded as an idea held only provisionally, as is the case with an unproved theory. Its reception by the mind constitutes knowledge, pure, unconditioned knowledge. In everyday language, it is the simple truth which is another way of saying that it is absolute truth. All this may seem too well known to need stating, but in pragmatism we are confronted with a system of thought that repudiates all absolute truth. A pragmatist regards nothing as simple truth. No conclusion, no matter how well demonstrated, contains any reality of such an absolute nature that one can say, this is the simple truth about the matter, here my mind can rest contented, my absolute knowledge is enriched forever by a new conquest. No, with the pragmatist it is a matter of ever learning, never knowing. His vagrant mind travels on from one experience to another, each new experience adjusting itself as best it can to the old experiences, or modifying them, or altogether dislodging them from the mind, but never presenting or evolving an image of absolute truth in the concrete. Logical demonstrations, received axioms, first principles, these he regards as relics of the mental childhood of the race. They lead to no knowledge, and their results are but makeshifts for knowledge. But, have pragmatists at least any hope of getting at absolute truth? It is hard to say, but to judge by their very notion of truth and by their criterion of truth, if they ever did stumble on any truth, they would never be aware of the fact. Logically, we shall see, they would have no right to declare any proposition true. We are not aware that any pragmatist has given a formal definition of truth. It is difficult to see how he could, but some sort of foggy notion of truth may be disengaged from their enunciation and explanation of the criterion of truth. What do they regard as the criterion of truth? The formula. A thing is true if it works well, if rightly understood, interprets the pragmatist mind on the subject. But let us endeavor to understand it. Works well. What is the pragmatist meaning of the phrase? Can any truth be said to work at all? In a sense, yes. It can influence one's thoughts or feelings. It can thus revolutionize a man's whole life. If the truth that there is an infinite and eternal God enters an atheist's mind, it may transform him, morally and intellectually, into another being and affect his existence for eternity. The truth that man has a spiritual soul, essentially differing from the life principle in a brute, may suggest, or more than suggest, the idea of immortality, and thus a new vista may be opened up to the mind. In these, and in many other ways, ideas and truths work. The criterion is not, then, to be interpreted in any narrowly practical sense, as though it implied that a truth was to be considered such because it had a good practical bearing on the necessities or the conveniences or the pleasures of life. No, what the pragmatist means is this. Does it make any difference whatever to human thought or life whether a certain idea is true or not? 
Does it give one a new outlook on life or a new point of departure in one's speculations or a new working hypothesis? If it does, it has so much truth. A vague expression, this, but it satisfies the pragmatist. It must be at once evident to the reader that even a false idea entering a mind may make a great difference in the adjustment of thought and conduct, and hence that the criterion is useless for distinguishing the true from the false. A false notion of deity has made a great difference in pagan times and countries. A pious Greek or Coman adjusted his thoughts and behavior by his ideas concerning the gods, whom he thought himself obliged to propitiate. The reader who is made acquainted for the first time with the pragmatist criterion of truth will doubtless open his eyes in astonishment. Does not all this imply an arbitrary dealing with the word truth, he will ask? Quite so is our answer. Nothing could be more arbitrary. The term is retained, but the old meaning thrown away. A criterion of truth which, in a given instance, only shows that an idea has worked out some result, is a criterion neither of truth nor of anything else. What it points to is not truth, which the human race has always regarded as something fixed and always itself, but a changed and changeable attitude of thought or feeling. The fact of the matter is that pragmatists despair of arriving at real truth by the methods hitherto in vogue. Logic they discard, reasoning they consider a pitfall. They are content or resigned to jog along the road of life with what intellectual satisfaction they may. When a new idea is presented to their minds, it encounters a mass of ideas, or experiences, as they term them, already in possession, and they find some satisfaction in provisionally dovetailing the new experience with the old ones. But truth in the sense in which most men have conceived it, well, that may or may not one day dawn on their intelligence after a long series of mental adjustments. We have already hinted at the refutation of the system, and little more is needed. Pragmatists do not pretend to demonstrate their position. If they did, the fact would be a strange comment on the value they set upon demonstrations in general. They can only hope that pragmatism will here and there light upon minds that experience the same chaos of thought as their own, and coax them along the rough highway of speculation from one stopping place to another. Pragmatism may seem to be a new phenomenon in the world of thought, but it is little more than a revival of old forms of skepticism which the world has discarded again and again. Twenty-four centuries ago, Protagoras, the first of the sophists, talked much in the same vein as James and Schiller and Dewey in our day, on the nature and tests of truth, and doubtless just as cleverly. Truth in his eyes had no objective existence. Man, as he expressed it, was the measure of all things, and an idea was true because it found a place in some individual mind and managed to adjust itself in some fashion to the mind's previous experiences. Two men might differ, but both had the truth. But in those early days, fortunately, and indeed providentially, a genius appeared on the scene who succeeded in unraveling the tangled skein of human thought. Socrates taught men how to think to some purpose, first by clearing up their concepts of things, and then by showing them how to link their concepts together in processes of reasoning, applying, at the same time, his rules for correct thinking to specific questions, as occasions occurred. Now, in this connection, the saying that history repeats itself is strikingly illustrated. The dialectic of Socrates, which cleared away the mists of ancient sophistry, led, more or less directly, to the founding of a system of philosophy which, purged of its errors and more fully developed, is the very system of philosophy which is recommended and prescribed as an antidote against the errors of our day by the illustrious pontiff Pope Leo XIII and his no less illustrious successor, Pope Pius X. The peripatetic or scholastic philosophy, which has been held in such honor in the Catholic Church, is today the only safeguard, except revelation, against the rampant errors of the times. 
Minus the subtleties and the relatively unnecessary questions discussed in a past age, the scholastic philosophy is a system taught at the end of the undergraduate course in Catholic colleges, and we who are familiar with the life of the colleges, and have followed the careers of many students after their graduation, are confident that no student of philosophy, either during his studies or long years after, has not felt reason for congratulating himself on the intellectual training he received in the study of scholastic philosophy. And this is true not only in the case of thoroughly Catholic minds, but no less in the case of non-Catholics who have been permitted to follow the course. There is a moral in this for Christian parents who care in the least to save their children from the pragmatism and the atheism, which now holds sway in so many non-Catholic colleges and universities. End of section 71. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.